Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Thanks for supporting the Fable and Folly Network. Here's another show we know you'll love. I got this really strange email last night. I need to see what's going on with this mystery file. Hey, it's a map of a town called Ocean Bay. Someone sent these images to you for a reason. I'm so lost right now. When was the last time you chose a direction and followed it? I'm going to Ocean Bay. We don't get many tourists this time of year. Ocean Bay is a friendly town, but we're not that friendly. I never sent you an email. I don't even know you. And why exactly are you here? The map is the reason we're here. Maps help when you're lost. Do you know what a trap street is? Trap streets aren't real. They don't exist. Don't trust anyone unless they give you a reason to trust them. I I think he's dead. How could so much damage happen to a human body in such a short period of time? What the hell is going on here? From the creators of Strange Air, this is Trap Street. So maps can have secrets. Yes, maps can have secrets. Follow and hear new episodes of Trap Street anywhere you listen to podcasts. This episode of Our Fair City is brought to you by Podcast Movement. Are you a podcaster or thinking of starting a podcast of your own? This year, Podcast Movement, the world's largest podcaster conference, will be in Chicago. Learn more at podcastmovement.com and use code CPC to save $50 off registration. Loyal Policies, this is Heartlife Executive Producer Jeffrey Gardner. Thank you so much for joining us. This week, we're excited to share a recording of our panel, Podcasting 101, recorded live at the Columbia Geek Culture Gala on April 23rd, 2016. Thanks again so much to CG2 for hosting us and to everyone out in the audience for coming down and asking questions. If you've been enjoying the show and want to help us get to Season 7, there are a few ways you can support us. Head to our web store at OurFairCity.com where we've got prints, comics, and Mole People t-shirts for sale. You can also go to iTunes and give us a rating and review. Those help us stay on the best of charts where new loyal policies can find us. Thank you so much for all of your support. And as always, we'll see you in the tunnels. All right, everyone, we're about to start Podcasting 101. So if you're here for the panel, please take a seat. All right, thank you all for coming. Uh, My name is Lauren Fates. I'm the community manager of Heartlife Not-For-Profit. We are a podcasting science fiction audio group that also creates comics and live productions and events and the occasional original recipes. So all sorts of art based in currently one universe, which is called Our Fair City. 
Uh, Our Fair City is starting very soon its seventh season, and we had over a quarter million downloads last year, and we hope to have even more. And today, thank you. Today we're here to teach you how to podcast. Podcasting is a very popular uh, form of production, very uh, popular form of content generation. It can be fiction, nonfiction. It can be short or long. And we've been doing it for a while, so we'd like to teach you what we know. Uh, panelists up here, why don't you introduce yourselves? Hi, uh, my name is Jeffrey Gardner. I'm the executive producer of Our Fair City. I direct almost all of the episodes and have a large hand in the business end of the show. Hi, I'm Ellie Maitland, and I'm an actor on Our Fair City. I play Cassie Wilkins, and I am also a Foley performer for their live audio drama productions. I'm also a company member with Wild Claw Theater, which is a theater company specialized, specializing in horror on stage, and we also do an annual short horror audio drama presentation for which I am the lead Foley designer and performer. I'm Stephen Poon. Uh, I do the music for Our Fair City. Uh, I compose it, sometimes I perform it. And around Chicago, I also do video production. Uh, and I'm Jim McDaniel. I'm one of the writers uh, for Our Fair City. Uh, I'm also the author of a book called An Unattractive Vampire. Uh, Jeffrey, tell us a little bit more about just how big Heart Life is. Because <laughs> it's, it's more than four people. Sure. Uh, you know, at last count, we have somewhere around 70, 80 more artists who have worked with us over the last six or seven years. Um, it's a massive team because producing audio theater is a massive endeavor. We have um, a huge number of actors, fantastic actors from the Chicago's local theater scene. Uh, we work with, because we are um, online, we have not only web teams, but um, people producing the audio, sound designers, um, editors, things like that. Um, and we have, uh, because we are in a nonprofit, an amazing board and staff who make sure that the production runs smoothly and we can get it out to all of you. Fantastic. So if you want to create a podcast, you certainly don't start with 80 people. You maybe start with one or two and an idea. So like I said, podcasts can be uh, nonfiction, fiction, you can review video games, you can do whatever you want. Uh, we are a fictional post-apocalyptic story that takes place on the East Coast after the world has sort of frozen over and one company called Heartlife, not to be confused with the real life Heartlife, has uh, taken over everything. There are Ant people, mole people, zombies, mad scientists, but also a very real commentary on social issues such as climate change. Uh, but I'm sure you all have an idea of what you would like to make your podcast about. So let's talk a little bit about where the ideas come from. I think this again starts with Jeffrey, but also I'd like our writer to contribute. Uh, how do you come up with an idea for a podcast? How is an idea born? Uh no, I think the really important thing for starting a new podcast is uh, figuring out what you bring to the table that no one else does. And, um, you know, for a, a fiction podcast, for an audio drama or a, a thing like that, you know, obviously the, the unique story you're telling is going to be different. Uh, but for, for a nonfiction, for an interview show, um, take a while and think about what angle you can take what um, understanding of a subject or 
uh, a life experience that you have that no one else could bring or that no one else is doing yet. Um, and because there are so many podcasts and there are so many generalist podcasts and that's fine. Um, I certainly don't want to discourage, you know, uh, a podcast that is you and three friends talking. Um, but there are lots of those. And so really take some time and think about what you and those three friends do and what you, what angles you have that no one else does. And I think that's going to be your best angle in for a new podcast. I do also want to ask why audio versus any other medium that you could present your content in. So why not a book? Why not a web series that's video? Why audio? I feel like this is a good place for me to jump in, uh, specifically because Wild Claw's uh, Death Scribe series, which is our live horror audio drama stories, is anthological by nature. So it's going to be uh, lots of short lived inspirations and there are two ways to look at when, uh, the answer to why is this an audio drama. Specifically, if this is something where theater of the mind is going to be the most effective way for you to tell your story, which is often the case with horror because the ideas of how something looks is always going to be a bit uh, more compelling, a bit more frightening, and a bit more personalized than it, uh, we're going to be able to present the visual score like my terrifying multi-tentacled being from another plane of existence is going to be very different from Jim's multi-tentacled being <laughs> from a plane of another existence. The pictures are always scarier in radio. Yes. And so there are good ways that audio drama is tailored to horror in general. And you can work either from a story that you already have in mind that you can embellish with the quality of sound, or you can take a sound that inspires you as your jumping off point. What does this sound like and what does it not sound like? And building suspense and building mystery in that way can be a really exciting way to start your narrative. Um, an another thing is that audio um, is kind of sort of been neglected, at least uh, on this side of the pond, as they the British say. The BBC does a lot of like audio drama and radio shows, but you know, American radio has mostly been music for decades now, um, and only now is starting to expand into that. So, A, there's a lot of, like, room there, but also, like, everyone has commutes. Everyone has downtimes where you can't watch, you know, you can, there's, there's no, there's less competition for people's attention, um, like, when you're driving a car. Obviously, they can't be on the internet then, or they shouldn't. <laughs> They can't be watching TV. They can't, um, you know, be re well. You could be listening to an audiobook, but you can't like be flipping through pages. However, you can be listening to an audiobook. You can be listening to a podcast. You can be listening to an audio drama. So there's there's less competition in in that way for people's attention. Are there any Doctor Who fans in the audience? Yeah. If you, if you haven't listened to Big Finish's Doctor Who audio dramas, you do yourself a favor, you really should, because there's so many amazing adventures, uh, especially with Paul McGann, if you like him. Uh, you know, I'd also say that audio uh, as a medium for nonfiction or fiction podcasting is, is so wonderful because it's really um, intimate. And this kind of builds off of uh, what Elio was saying about imagining it. But like, I, I know with my favorite um, nonfiction podcasts, after listening to them for so long and having these people talking kind of right there in my head, I feel like, you know, these are 
these are friends that I just haven't seen in a long time and, you know, I interact with and I feel like I know them. And I think that's a different experience than, you know, watching, watching a talk show, watching a web series. Uh, the fact that it's kind of going straight into your brain through your ear just makes you feel like you know these people a lot better than if it's through any other medium. So beautiful. Uh, you have your idea, whether it is commentary on the latest episode of Game of Thrones or comic book restaurant reviews or a fictional story like this one, and you want to start writing. Tell us a little bit about the Our Fair City writers' meetings and writers' process. Um, well, it it's changed uh, over the course of forever. I, when we started, it was everyone kind of went to their own corners and wrote a piece and brought it together and we kind of just cobbled everything into one cohesive uh, story in someone's apartment and we, we just kind of read it like that. Um, uh, now, normally we get together a few months before the launch of the previous season. Um, we start brainstorming. We try to remember where people were left. Uh, we spend a couple of couple of sessions, usually we meet once a week, we, we spend a few days working on the overall story um, that we're going to tell that season, and then once that's uh, broke, then we break that down into specific episodes, and then this year we had a draft um, for who gets to write episodes, and I got, I got four out of my five top, <laughs> top choices, so I'm happy. Yeah, and then again, we Go to our respective corner. Then we go to our respective corners and write. Um, but we meet once a week. We have uh, assignments. We have deadlines. Um, we come in. The writers come in. Uh, we read one or two scripts, or actually two or three scripts uh, a week. Get notes um, to make revisions. Uh, then once we've done like another round, and then we go revise, come back. We might read it again. Uh, eventually, then we have uh, a read through with the actors. Um, that's usually around June, uh, late May, early June. Uh, and then we, then we kind of have a summer break. An important thing that, we, that we've discovered from talking to other podcasts, other audio dramas, is revise. Revision is a good thing. If you have a pre-planned story arc, that is absolutely true. I do want to point out you can uh, have a podcast if it's more about news or your own personal opinions on things. You can have a heavily improvised podcast, but in that case, I would still recommend an outline. You know, what do we want to talk about? How much time do we want to spend on that subject? And then you can edit the audio as opposed to editing the script to really get out your best stuff. That's a really good point, Lorna. I'd like to piggyback on that because we have a couple of uh, communities that are friends of Our Fair City or also uh, additional collaborators to Our Fair City. Um, the first one that springs to head is uh, David Reinstrom, who's a writer for Our Fair City as well, who has recently taken over Radio Drama Revival as its curator. And his interviews are great in no small part because he allots 60 to 90 minutes for the conversation, and then he pairs it down to the best 30. So always making sure that you're giving your uh, guests and yourself the opportunity to sound your best and smartest is going to work in your favor. Yeah, cut, cut a third of your podcast just each time, you know, no matter how long is it, how long it is, cut a third of it or cut more. Uh, I would also say always have, no matter what kind of podcast it is, have someone else who listens to it before it goes out. Uh, or maybe very early in your process. 
Um, and that's whether it's a, um, you know, a nonfiction, an interview podcast, certainly a fiction podcast. Get other people you trust, um, buy them pizza, and have them listen to it and have them give you notes, and then listen to that feedback. You don't have to take every note, but understand that anytime someone's saying something, it's, it's because something wasn't communicated. So having other people involved, uh, you know, clearly we've gone way far in that direction, um, but having, having a lot of trusted voices around you to tell you when you're going in the right direction and when you need to revise or cut or improve is a really, really good thing. It's a very popular saying, kill your darlings, but also it's important to have a lot of darlings. Have as many as you can stand to have. And again, uh, being prolific is going to be your friend because only the top 10% of any art anywhere is going to be any good. And that sounds really cynical and possibly mean, but I don't mean it to be because it's my own art included. It's everyone's art included. That's why it's in your best interest to make as much of it as possible. And keep in mind, that top 10% is going to be different for everybody. Not everyone likes the same movies. Not everyone likes the same stories. So it's important to make sure that you're telling the things that are important for you. Ira Glass said recently, or has been parroted to my Facebook feed again recently, <laughs> that uh, your taste is always going to be good, even if your skill set is still very much in its infancy when you start. So you can owe it to yourself to get that idea, refine that idea, and then work at it. Make a set amount of time every week to practice your craft. And that you're going to see and you're going to boggle your own mind at how much better you get year after year, day after day. I do want to add something to getting better over time because you might have not a lot of confidence in the beginning, but if you show and share with someone else, but especially before releasing, like the advice that they're giving, you might realize you're funnier or you sound cooler or more smart than you thought you did. And that will give you the courage to to produce. On the flip side, maybe you and your friends have a lot of awesome inside jokes that won't be funny to a bigger audience. And having those other people listen and give you feedback for that reason is important, too. So we're getting really close to recording. So we're just going to jump right into that. If someone wants to record their very first podcast, what equipment do they need? So if it's your first podcast? <laughs> yeah, I mean... If you've got 101, a, Jeffrey, yes. No, 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 no. If, you, <laughs> if you've got a phone with a microphone on it, do that. You know, put yourself in your closet. Make sure you have everyone's permission first. Yes. Get a friend and a phone with a microphone. And uh, like we started with, a coat hanger and pantyhose. Uh, and that's as your pop screen. And that's going to cut down if you hear these peas I'm doing, because I don't have one of those. Um, that's like even just those very small, simple tools will start you out and just just start and go um past that you can get a you know hundred dollar mic that goes into a usb a condenser mic and that's gonna improve your sound quality all that much um there are amazing free audio editing programs um audacity is one of the most common um that's a perfect place to start we i mean we started uh, our fair city started with one $100, $75 microphone, pantyhose on a coat hanger, and um, literally our head writer Clayton's um, coat closet. And we put one in, actor in at a time, and the other actors who were in the scene would stand outside of the coat closet and read the lines, uh, and then we'd put each person... I don't recommend recording audio theater that way. It's not fun, but you can get it done, and you'll practice 
so do that until you have enough money to buy yourself a nice mic and then buy three nice mics. So it's, it's easy. Yeah, just start with whatever you have. I once had the experience of recording using a, a making a makeshift sound booth with a bunch of inflatable mattresses and blankets. And we had our own little closet. <laughs> that just sounds like a great idea. <laughs> we should be doing that. <laughs> so I, I do want to talk to Steven right now because when we walked into this room, he saw these rectangular things on the wall and made a comment about them. For and those of you <laughs> listening at home, there are white carpeted rectangles on all of the walls. So Stephen, it's important. What are they actually for? Why are those in here? Uh, these are here to help uh, dampen sound, uh, which is really going to help in any environment so you don't get as much you know, echo and reverb or outside noise coming in. Yes, and so even the very first podcasting environments that we created, we tried to find something in that realm because it is important. And so just to compare, tell the audience a little bit about where we record now, how, how, can, how far you can go. Sure, so we have our own dedicated studio now with uh, a studio and a rehearsal space and a separate uh, recording booth. It's great. We built it in the basement of a decommissioned power plant because the walls are really thick. Um, and it's awesome. Uh, but we had to do a lot of dampening because it was a big concrete room. And so we built over the course of what we thought was going to be two or three days and turned into a month and a half, two months, a long time. We built walls that weren't parallel. That's going to be one of your most important things. Uh, walls that face each other reflect sound waves. And they're just going to bounce and stand there. Uh, so you want padded, uh, textured surfaces on your walls. In our case, we have foam and we have moving blankets, which are actually a remarkably good uh, solution for that, that hang from our walls. On a budget, you can also use egg cartons. A thing as you get into the higher end, um, you want to put your computer into a separate room because a computer has a little fan and you can hear it. If you're, if you're listening closely, if you've got a really sound dead room, you can hear that fan, you can hear the, the stuff going clicks, in there. keyboard hits. We work with, uh, now, you know, we have groups of uh, mics, so we don't have to record each actor individually, which is just fantastic for performances. But yeah, no, having a dedicated space has been amazing for us. We, we also have a dance party every time the, uh, the L train passes over. Yeah, because you can't record when the train sound is there, so we just dance. Yeah, actually, we have found that the register that comes through the concrete is deep enough that it doesn't show up on the recordings. You can hear it in the room. Your ears are sensitive, but it's not sensitive enough to get picked up. So as I'm going through and editing you know, hours and hours of um, audio recordings, every once in a while, I, everyone just stops and then starts singing, usually... <laughs> Come on, ride the train. Yeah, come on, ride the train, or uh, Soul Train, or or songs by the band Train. And it was very confusing for us. I was like, oh, right, they heard the train, and I can't. Uh, so you did mention hours and hours of audio editing, uh, and I guess now's a great time to uh, reveal that editing takes a lot longer than you might imagine. So if we are editing our first podcast, we mentioned Audacity, what are some other tools that uh, we might use to edit our sound? Uh, well, at least for music, I use a combination of um, Isotope Iris to create samples as well as GarageBand for just sequencing. And it, I mean, it's 
the newest Scratch Band you uh, you can pay for, but earlier versions were free, and it's just a surprisingly powerful program for what you can do. I also use Adobe Audition if uh, I need to clean up sound as well. Uh, and in the past, I used Audacity a lot. I once recorded a full album just me singing an acoustic guitar just on Audacity. Yeah, we um we started using Audacity, um, and as we grew. I think all of the um, rough cutting and sound design happens uh, on Adobe Audition. The Creative Cloud has a great version of it. Um, we really love it. You can go even higher up than that with Pro Tools, um, and that's one of the big kind of industry standards. But we have all found that we really like Audition, and so that's what we've stuck with. And uh, I think we have this number. I don't know if you have it memorized, but how many minutes or hours of work go into finished minutes of Our Fair City? So for making Our Fair City, we, we worked it out. It takes roughly eight to ten hours for every finished minute of audio drama. And that's between our writers and actors um, and very heavily our, our sound designer, uh, Ryan Sheely, who is um, just a fantastic talent. And uh, through the process of, of editing the dialogue, uh, that's actually one of the big time sinks that I think is really important and is in, on all kinds of podcasts often neglected and is the thing that will bump you up to my favorite podcast fastest. If you have a feel and if you can learn to edit dialogue so that it feels natural again um, and so that it's tight, uh, Gilmore Girls, like that, that, <laughs> that's what I want. I want that tight, snappy bah, 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 dialogue. But we spend hours and hours just moving individual lines by fractions of a second to make it feel right again. Uh, and that's so important, especially for audio fiction. And if I have any advice when it comes to recording, it's, uh, it's very easy to say if there's a noise or something you, can, you think you can fix, and you just say, oh, we'll just fix it in post. Yes, you can do that, but if you're able to fix it now when you're recording, you should do the extra take because it's going to save you a lot of headache later on. And we're, we're not working with reels anymore uh so digital storage space is cheap and you know you can always get you know we do two three sometimes nine or ten takes of a lot of lines and that's fine and if it gets you the right thing you know um it's worth doing all right so we've recorded we got our idea we recorded it we edited it we have this beautiful file how do we distribute it out on the internet so people will hear it we use libsyn uh, Libsyn is, I cannot toot their horn enough. Um, it's a really, really great service and program uh, for podcasting. It hosts files and creates feeds, RSS feeds that go out to iTunes and now Google Play um, and just to, to any you know, Stitcher, any other podcasting service where your listener is going to get it from. Um, they run really cheap, you know, $5, $7 a month for some plans. Um, and they have the best customer service. But basically what you do is you just have an interface and you upload uh, an audio file and give it a description, and uh, that service sends it out to iTunes and wherever you're going to be distributing it through. And so I, like, there, there are lots of different services that do that, Blueberry, um, a couple others, but honestly I've never looked back from going over to Libsyn. Um, there are a lot of podcast communities that are really open. I know the the audio theater community uh, is really, really uh, fun. If you you know, a lot of us are kind of always bouncing around on Twitter 
But it, yeah, if you if you want to start it, start it, and then um, you know, pick your social media surface of choice: Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and just search podcasts or audio drama. Um, and there are groups and communities that have built up there that are great. So come hang out. Speaking of Twitter and Facebook, your podcast should probably make its own social media presence as well. Get a Facebook fan page. Get a Twitter account. You won't see a lot of people there right away, but it's another way to get attention. And most importantly, it's a great way to dialogue with your listeners and the fans that you will eventually get. Uh, I'm the community manager of Our Fair City, so it's obviously very important to me to tell you that. It's kind of my cup of tea. But um, if you have the capacity to put work into a social media presence for your show, it adds accessibility. People can access you more easily, and it just makes you look more polished and professional. You look like you're taking it seriously when you get a logo and usernames and you start posting content. More content, more, more, more. On the flip side, we also have another group of friends that run Alcoholywood, which is a podcast dedicated to craft cocktail and cinema criticism. And so their website is a great way for them to additionally uh, interact with their fans because that's where they can post the recipes for the cocktails that they're uh, designing dedicated to each movie that they're talking about every week. I think a lot of us have been on Alcoholywood. They're Several lovely. Uh, what costs money when you're making a podcast and how do you make money? making a podcast. I'm very familiar with the first half of that <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, when it comes to generating sound effects, that's something that I know is going to be an, an automatic line item for your budget, especially if you're going to be doing things practically rather than uh, sourcing uh, sound effects off of, there are any number of free websites that you can be uh, visiting, but that runs the risk of taking away some of the organicity and the uniqueness of your own voice and your own storytelling. How many people here know what the Wilhelm scream is? Yep. You don't want to be that guy, do you? Because <laughs> once everyone knows to recognize it, it gets a, you have to be... You want to be that guy that on that purpose. Reason. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So when it comes to practical effects, you can find ways of repurposing and reusing certain sounds, especially if they're unique to a certain narrative that you're telling for a given day. And we'll get into that when we're doing the Foley demonstration later. But think about how to re uh, reuse and recycle the things that you are purchasing and see if you can make them recurring characters in your stories. That's probably a good way of looking at it. Uh, there are a lot of ways to generate uh, funds for a podcast. Um, some of them are effective for different audiences. Once you have an audience... You know, something like Patreon or a Kickstarter can be great. You have to be careful about when you start something like that. Um, if you don't want it to you know, just be your inner circle, those are not going to be as effective if you haven't already built that listener fan base. I would say, you know, uh, we personally have found events to be a great way to generate income. We throw massive launch parties for a couple hundred people. Um, and we go all out, and we make them as cool as we can, um, and that's a great way, kind of a, a rent party, to, to get that money in the door. That takes a lot of work, um, and it's a different kind of work than, you know, just a podcast might be. People are far more willing to pay for food and drink than almost anything else. <laughs> it's true. I think a, a theme we're really coming across here 
is successful podcasting is about doing more than just the podcast. Whether that means you, you have great dialogue with your fans and you build awesome relationships, or you have a huge professional looking web presence, or you put a lot of effort into throwing parties that people wanna come to. That's the thing that sets you apart than just being a line of text on iTunes. What can you do that's a little bit more than just the podcast? Uh, we have five to 10 minutes to take questions. If anyone has questions and then it's time to smash some fruit. <laughs> so does anyone and have vegetables. any questions for, and vegetables, let's not leave out the vegetables. Does anyone have any questions? Yes. Uh, and the question uh, just for the recording is uh, how different is audio editing from video editing? Oh, so like in Final Cut, there's the timeline at the bottom for editing audio and it's actually very, very similar to that. But instead of, uh, frames as kind of the unit of time, uh, you don't have to pay attention to that as much. You have a lot more freedom, actually, when it comes to the amount of sound that you're editing. But most programs are going to be familiar with the interface. You can, you can cut things and you can move them graphically the way you would as a video editing program. Uh, the only thing that I would emphasize more that most people don't pay as much attention to in uh, video editing is really paying attention to, like, your levels and uh, having consistent decibels all throughout because a lot of people are, can be pretty forgiving when they have a visual to focus on but when you're only listening there's a sudden cut then you'll want to uh, finesse that a bit more in terms of what you're actually editing you do have to build the picture in audio when you can't see the picture and so things as simple as someone walking from one point to another, if you're watching that in video, you don't know that the person walked in the audio and to where unless you hear that happening. And so there's a lot, I think, more effort just put into building a picture because you can't see it. I'd actually say in video, it's a similar, uh, just a redirected type of effort. Yes. I've recently gotten into uh, Foley design and generation for film as well. So learning the differences between what makes a complete and full sounding film sound score versus an audio drama sound score has been interesting because it's a lot about highlighting rather than distracting in yes. audio drama because you don't want all the sounds that probably would be there in, the, say, in a film, but if you didn't have a different approach for the film generation, it would sound hollow. And sometimes that's hard to define without looking at the picture and seeing it and doing a lot of experimentation. But yeah, um, as far as like generating sound effects of direction, directionality for mm -hmm. something as simple as walking across a room, there are a lot of things that you have to add in through either dialogue or through mise-en-scene for audio, like is it a room in space? <laughs> is it a room on fire? These are things that you would know automatically oh. from <laughs> space fire. It's really hard to sound design space but it's always worth it. Uh, other, other questions, other thoughts? Yes. Uh, without giving away spoilers, what's something, what's something about season seven of Our Fair City that you're very excited about? Mm. I, kinda, I finally get to move the mole people to where I want them to be. Yeah, there's a couple of characters that have disappeared if you are a fan of the series that they ha we haven't caught up with them in a while, and there's one that we catch up with that I'm really excited about. Don't spoil it. All right. Uh, do we have maybe one more question? Yeah. So I know in the history of like radio, like oh, back then a lot of people have to go through like training their voice for being suitable for radio just because voices run on different frequencies and different pitches. 
And obviously, like, technology has grown to where it can like, fix that. But how about like when you're just starting? And I know there's some people like you know your voice is a higher pitch, shr- shriller, or really deep. So like sometimes hard to understand. How do you like combat that um, when doing podcasting? So I think <laughs> that's actually a thing that um, that having that friend who can listen to the podcast is going to be really helpful with because they will be able to hear it and say, okay, I missed that whole chunk of dialogue of, of what you were talking about because I, you know, your, your voice was too deep or too high or you spoke too fast or um, you didn't enunciate something. Um, and they'll be able to say, oh, could you, you know, can you go redo that because that was unclear. Um, and so having that kind of, that, that learning process of what works and what doesn't, um, and just making sure you're listening to that person that gives you feedback. Yeah, it's it's because it's so easy to do. Um, kind of anyone can start it without you know going through a a voice acting program or a you know being on the BBC or on NPR. And NPR and BBC both very famously have you know very particular styles and kind of style guides that they learn. You know hello, this is NPR, this is the most important news you'll ever hear, but you're falling asleep at the wheel because of my beautiful voice. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and that style really works for them. Um, but it's, I think you have a chance now to find your own style and find what works as long as you're having other people listening to it and making sure it works for your audience as well as you. Bringing up NPR is a, an interesting point because... If you're trying to just do journalism and you're trying to just deliver news, it's a lot more important to, I think, be sort of universally appealing and enunciate and sort of have that professional sounding mature voice. If you're doing fiction, you're trying to capture characters, you know, who are theoretically real. And so if someone has an unpleasant voice or a shrill voice or a voice that's harder to understand, if that's what you want from the character in fiction, that can be okay. As long as, as, long as it's intelligible. The mole people wouldn't last very long on NPR. <laughs> uh, all right. So we got a few minutes left. And we are going to bring uh, Jeffrey and Ellie over to the Foley table to show you all how we make some of our sound effects. Uh, both on the audio drama and in our live shows. So let's get them some applause. So we both forgot our aprons, um, (laughs) which is going to be interesting. So I'm going to leave my nice coat over here. And there's a poncho for whichever one of us uh, ends up smashing this cantaloupe here. I'll just leave this right here for now. Now, something to keep in mind is when you're generating uh, audio effects for a radio drama with the intent and only end result being the podcast, you're going to be playing by some different rules than when you're going to be doing it predominantly for a live performance like what we're doing right now. Because part of what's important right now is making sure that everyone gets to see a good show. We're all on stage for a reason. And so you're going to be budgeting things a little bit differently in terms of veracity of sound versus compelling stage imagery. You can often get a lot of the same things, though, because of how often the things that are fun to watch are the things they're actually using in films. One of my favorite example stories is from Fight Club, when they're doing the full body blows in all of the like bare-knuckle boxing matches in that movie. Not that I'm supposed to talk about it, but the most famous physical blows sound they used was filling a raw chicken carcass with walnuts and smashing it with a hammer. That's not going to tour well, but we do have a couple of things that we'll do instead. All right, so what is the sound going to be? 
celery into the mix right now. And celery is a very watery and juicy sound. It can be great for uh, br uh, breaking bones. It's amazing how much mileage you can get simply out of the cognition for an audience between the lines. Ah, my leg! That tells you exactly what happened. Can you do that again right into the mic? Yeah, you, you feel it? Do you feel it? <laughs> You're not walking away from that. It's also important to have some things that can play different roles. We talked earlier about that as well. And there are some things that are really obvious. There are some really recognizable sounds you don't want to play with or mess with too much, like... but then you can actually repurpose it for a couple of things. Jeffrey? So this is one of my favorites, um, and it takes a couple of tries often to get right, but um, for a car, if you crush a soda can and kind of vibrate your lips, <laughs> also it looks hilarious. Uh, you gotta you gotta make sure your car sections aren't too long, or you're gonna pass out on stage. Uh, but you know, if you get a little bit of, it's just a lot of fun. Ooh, that tastes pretty good too. It's also fun to do a little bit of choreography with your partner if you can, and you can juxtapose the traditional sounds with something a little bit more unusual too. Uh, something that's a little bit more traditional. You guys might have seen one of these before in uh, music class. This is called a rasp. And there are sounds like that that as soon as you hear them, you know exactly where you are and when. You know, you hear that cricket, and suddenly it's night, and you're out maybe in the countryside sitting on a porch swing, um, and it's just really evocative, just like little, a little bit of um, uh, work like that. Uh, One of the shorthands I've always heard is crickets mean nighttime, birdies mean daytime. Sure, if you, if you hear a single eagle cry, you know you're out in the desert and you're probably running out of water. But no, 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 I mean, um, uh, there are a lot of sounds like that that have just been used so often that they become this great shorthand. And it's really interesting, too, how trained we've all become by film and audio drama to expect things to sound the way they sound on the screen or on the radio rather than how they actually do in real life. It's like how we all know that a grape-flavored candy doesn't actually taste anything like a grape, but you know what you're getting when you get a grape candy. Swords, swords don't make any noise when you wave them around, but I, you know if you watch now watch um, any knights and armor movie and it's you know like uh, that that showed up. I'm 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 going to spoil the end of Daredevil season two in that there are swords in it. There, there there's this hilarious shorthand where he can like hear the swords and they're making those shing sounds and he's picking up on that and I'm sitting there my my fully brain is going but. But swords don't make that noise unless they're... But, hey, come on, guys. And here's something that's a bit unusual to see actually out in the wild. This is called a water phone. It was actually invented by a man named Water, but it also has water in it. And if you bow it or hit it with a mallet and then play with the uh, basin a little bit, you get some really fun reverberations. This is every horror movie. It was used a lot in the Nightmare on Elm Street soundtracks from the 80s and 90s. Everyone always talks about how the theremin is inextricably linked to 1950s sci-fi. This is like its goth brother. <laughs> this is uh, one of my favorite 
frequent collaborators. This is Flarp. You can get it for a dollar nine at any Walgreens. It's so gross. <laughs> But it's wonderful, and, and, you know, it stands, especially in, you know, for us, it stands in for, you know, carnivorous mold or, you know, enroaching spores that will take over your brain or anything like that. Um, uh, if you were getting attacked by a werewolf? Yeah, sure. Okay. And it goes for your throat, you may very well hear. <laughs> this is also a great way to get your vegetables. Oh, rest in peace, lettuce. <laughs> It's also important to keep in mind, if you're doing this in a live setup like this, make sure that you have a designated area for your lettuce. That way it's not covering all the props you're going to need in another couple of seconds. That can be a problem. <laughs> all right, then. Uh, well, we have bookmarks here that uh, have our web address and also our social media stuff on it. So if you'd like to listen to Our Fair City or ask us questions later, please come up and get one. One well, of the reasons why I'm up here also is because Wild Claw Theater requires all of its patrons to contribute their scary stories. We are opening the submissions window for Describe 2016 on May 1st, and it'll run through July 31st. I have cards to give out if anyone's interested with our website and submissions information on them. And this is our call for 10-minute short audio drama horror stories. We want, we want to know what scares you. And the top five submissions from this process will be performed live on December 5th, which is the first Monday in December, backed by a full band, uh, supported by Foley artists producing all the sound effects live, and performed by some of the best actors in the Chicago scene today. It's so, one of the best nights in Chicago theater. I want you to scare me. <laughs> also, just check out OurFairCity.com. Come up and get one of these. We'll be at the convention for a little bit longer if you'd like to come up to us after the show and talk to us. Thanks for coming. Thanks to CG2. It's been awesome meeting you all. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you all. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.